Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. He's covering the words of Jesus referred to as his Sermon on the Mount. These three chapters in Matthew are considered the first words spoken publicly as Jesus' ministry began. And if you've been following along in this series, whether attending physically here at church or, or watching on live stream or even just watching at a later time, we're, we're finding more and more people do that as well, you know that we've uh, covered the Beatitudes, we've, as well as Jesus' words on the subject of anger, um, adultery and lust, divorce and remarriage, and getting revenge on those that have hurt you. Covered all that. Jesus just had this way, and, and when, he, when he was preaching this message, it was just so laser-focused. And I don't think anybody walked away from that, that, uh, that talk he had with, with the people that were listening. I don't think anybody walked away from that not being convicted or being challenged in some way. And you know, this is the cool thing about Jesus Christ. Two, almost 2,000 years later, we are still being challenged by those very words. Amen. It, it's unreal how someone could speak that many years ago and just, again, laser focus into the hearts of man, and it's still relevant today. I, I, I just think that's an awesome thing to remember as we keep going throughout this. Um, and this morning, we, we actually get to start something a little new. We're in chapter six, finally. We finally got through chapter five. It took five weeks to get through chapter five, but we are in chapter six, and it, and it is, and it's as thought-provoking, really, as, and even convicting as chapter five, um, but at least we're in chapter six, right? We're moving right along here. Be, it says in Matthew chapter six, verse one, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I mean, when you read something like that, what do you, what do, you do? What, do you, what do you do with it? You're like, do you start thinking about all the people who are trying to be publicly righteous? Or do you think about yourself and say, do I do that? Is that me? Is he talking about me? Is, is, he, is he talking to me right there? I, I tend to internalize right away and go, God, are you saying something to me right now as I'm reading this? And, and then I begin to examine my life and go, is that happening? Am I, am I trying to practice my righteousness before other people? Am I dropping little hints about how good I am? Am I manipulating conversations so people will say good things? You know, we get into that very quickly and, and very easily. Do I, do I want people to, to lift me up and and, and I'm not talking as a pastor. I'm talking about all of us. Do we do that? I just want people to know how good I really am. Look to your neighbor and just say, do you realize? Some of you aren't following the rules here. Just look to your neighbor and say, do you realize how good I am? Okay. Because isn't that the heart of this? Do you realize how wonderful I am? Now, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're, we're wonderful in God's eyes. I, I don't take anything away from that. But there, comes, there, there is something about this prideful thing that wants to be seen as really righteous, as really wonderful and really good. 
Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 6.1 about those righteous acts that we engage in from time to time as Christians, the random acts of kindness. Anybody ever perform a random act of kindness to somebody? Hold a door for, for an elderly couple, you know, uh, uh, help someone with a, with a child when the child is lost, uh, pick up trash as they're walking along the, what, the public place. These random acts of kindness. Jesus is talking about the encouraging words we give. How many, you know someone's hurting, so you give them an encouraging word. How many have ever done that? Show of hands. You guys awake this morning? Yeah. All right, we're awake, good. Um, can I get a whoo? All right, you're awake, great. For those of you online, we go whoo. We do that because that's as excited as we get here in Iowa, okay? Just so you know. Whoo, let's hear it again. Oh man, settle down, settle down. It's just too much. Anyway, those random acts of kindness, those encouraging words we give, the physical help we give those who physically can't do everything they need to do. We've done that before. You ever stop by and help somebody with a tire? No? Okay. Those kinds of things. The just being there for people who are hurting. You ever go to the hospital and just sit with somebody? Those kinds of things. Just being present when they don't need to be alone. These are all righteous acts. These are, these are things we do that are righteous, that are good, that hopefully flow out of the relationship that we have for Jesus. They flow out of the love we have for Jesus. But as it says in verse 1, don't practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So in other words, the motive of your heart can't be, I want to be seen by people and I want people to see how good I am. All right? Jesus warns us of doing these righteous acts in a flamboyant way, in a shout it from the mountaintops kind of way, in a hey, look how amazing I am kind of way. Do these righteous acts and being vocal or public with what you've done, it just proves you have done them with the wrong motive when you do them that loudly. Jesus says here, no reward from, from you from, from, from your heavenly father. No, no reward for you from your heavenly father for those acts done with self-fulfilling or self-propelling motives. There's no reward there. You will have no reward from your father who's in heaven. He says it pretty simply. Then Jesus goes on in verse two through four and he takes what he just said about practicing righteous acts and he frames it around money and the way we give. He says this in Matthew 6, 2 through 4. Thus, when you give to the needy, so he laser focuses your righteous acts down to giving. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward already. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret what you've done will reward you. My, my wife and I had the, the privilege of being a part of her mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary. And, and you guys know how big of an event that can be, how, how monumental that is, especially in this day and time. We were a part of that back in 2004, and, and we thought, what a, great, what a great thing, and what a great way to celebrate it um, would, a, a great way to celebrate it would be to maybe put a memory book together. And so we did that. We, we put out the word to all of, all, all of uh, her parents' friends and relatives, and we asked them to send us 
a paragraph or two of a memory that they had experienced with Alyssa's parents. And we, we got a great response and a bunch of memories. We, we were also really blown away, and I mean blown away, by what many of those memories were. Some, so many of them were written like thank you cards. Instead of a memory, they were thanking Alyssa's parents. And we knew that Alyssa's dad was a, a successful general contractor during the 70s and 80s. He, he, we knew that he built many homes, um, whole sections of the town that we lived in. Uh, he built apartment complexes as well as many churches in multiple states. He built office buildings, several funeral homes, and even a school or two. He built a lot of things. And what we didn't know is how giving he had been. We never knew how much of his success that he actually had shared with others. And a memory from his bookkeeper for his business uh, was a memory that thanked him for the home. So apparently as a bonus, because we, we asked about it, a bonus to his bookkeeper's salary, Dale, that was Alyssa's dad's name, told his bookkeeper to go to one of these developments in town that they were building and he instructed him to pick out a house as thanks for as many years of hard work. That was not a salary that was above and beyond just to say thank you. Hey, pick out one of those homes. You've done a great job for me. Pretty cool. How many want to work for a guy like that? <laughs> there was a, a note from a missionary slash evangelist and it came with a picture and it said, thank you for making our need for an airplane a reality. There's a little twin jet plane or something. I don't know how much he gave towards that. I don't, we don't even know if he bought the whole thing, but apparently it wouldn't have happened without the gift that he'd given. And it was a picture of the plane. There was another note from a fellow church member who had been on the board during a capital campaign for the church, and he said, thank you for teaching me how to give. Thank you for teaching me how to give. Apparently, there was a large pledge made and paid by Dale, and the only, only the board knew about it, but his generosity had a big impact on this particular man. There was another one indicating that the beautiful grand piano that sat in the church in which we all attended had been donated by Dale. I led worship on that piano for, for years and never knew where it came from, even though I had married into the family. Alyssa was in the family when he gave it, and she didn't even know that he gave that piano. We now know that there are Christian colleges that have dormitories because of his generosity. And although they are not named after him, I, I know of a church, uh, even a church that, that has a, a, a significant amount of land to expand on because the land was gifted to them from Dale. And the list goes on and on and on, and only eternity will know. And I'm not trying to put him on a pedestal. He's passed away almost 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years ago this spring. But there are, and, there, and there are those of us here this morning, I, I need to say this, who give sacrificially on a regular basis. They give according to their faith and not according to what they can supposedly afford. They give according to the Holy Spirit's leading. And honestly, nobody would ever know it. And quite frankly, most wouldn't probably believe it if they did know I can say this with complete confidence. It would shock you to know the incomes of the biggest givers in any given church. Actual giving amounts are not congruent to incomes in most churches. They're congruent to the big hearts of those giving. 
In other words, some of the people who make the least give the most. And I'm not just talking proportionally, I'm talking actual amounts. That happens, often. And I'm talking about beyond tithe giving here too. Jesus was, was giving us some clear instruction here about giving, and he talked about righteous acts and then went specifically to giving, right to the heart of where a lot of it all happens and we all have issues. It's laser-focused. But not just giving in general. He focused on giving alms or giving to the needy. That's what he says, when you give to the needy. And I meditated on this a lot over the last couple of weeks, and I I kept asking the question, why? Why take such a broad subject of righteous acts and then hone in on the very specific subject of not just giving money, but giving to the needy? Giving to the needy. So first of all, I, I think Jesus doesn't mention or doesn't say giving as in tithing here because let's just be real. Y'all listening to me here this morning? Let's just be real with it. It's no big deal if you give what you owe God. That's just kindergarten stuff, right? It's no big deal if you give what you owe God. The Bible says you owe the tithe. Sure, it should just be automatic. Tithing is giving 10% of your increase. The word tithe comes from an old English word that literally means one-tenth. It means one-tenth. And as many of you know, it is something that the Lord commanded his children to do in the Old Testament. We continue the practice in the New Testament because there is no mandate given other than to... uh, to stop it, but there's no, there's no mandate given other than being encouraged to give all that we have for the Lord or all that we possibly can. So the tithing thing, if it has been eliminated in the New Testament, it's because it's eliminated it in reference to you should be giving way more than the tithe because everything you have is God's. I mean, that's, when you read scripture, that's how, it's, that's how it's in there. That's how it is. Many Christians consider their tithe the very least that they should be given. It's just what they, oh, God did tell his people to test him in this, and we talk about this verse a lot. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of, heaven, of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Can I just say something, church? When you're near 30 trillion in debt in your, in your country, there is going to come a moment, probably in the very near future, where things are gonna be hard to get. Money's going to be scarce. I'm not trying to be the rain on our parade, but you can't just keep spending, 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 and spending, and printing money, and, and all of a sudden everything's gonna be okay and work out. A trillion dollars, one trillion dollars, is a very large amount of money. We throw it around like it's nothing. Do you know how much a trillion dollars is? I've told you this before. A trillion dollars, a trillion seconds ago, was 300 years before Jesus walked on the face of the earth. One trillion seconds. A dollar a second since then? That's a trillion. Do the math. It's nuts. I mean, so why do I say that? Because when things start to get bad, the last thing I want to do is be in a place where the windows of heaven aren't pouring out so much blessing that I don't have room to receive it. I want to be that guy tithing because our needs will be met. God says, test me in this. America has gotten to a place where we're like, well, you know, we give because we've been given some extra. And this isn't really a tithe message, but I just, I thought it was so interesting that Jesus didn't even talk about the tithe here because that should just be automatic. That's just something we all should be doing. 
I uh, saw a young man practice this tithe thing the other night, and I won't say his name out loud, Carson Keller, but I gave him uh, 20 bucks for doing some work for me, and, and I said, uh, here you go, he did a good job, he's a good worker, he's, got, he's a big kid, he can do pretty heavy stuff. And I gave him 20 bucks, and I said, now, now you got uh, 20 bucks to blow at the football game tonight, it was Friday night. And he said, actually, I only have 18. That's what he said to me. I'm telling you. Because I need to give God $2 for tithe. He also said, my dad will make me give God $2 for tithe, which I thought, good for him to know. You know what? Carson's tithed before because he knew right away that it was two bucks. He didn't need anybody to tell him. Good parenting there too, by the way. And I, I just love it when a kid corrects the pastor. And if he continues that practice, not correcting me, but tithing... <laughs> <laughs> he will live in the blessing of God. Amen. And that's just a cool thing. I have no doubt. Again, giving the tithe is what we learn to do in the infancy stage of our Christianity. And when that is learned and practiced, then there's this above and beyond the tithe giving. And this is where the blessing really comes in. Kingdom builders giving. Offerings to those in financial need due to circumstances outside of their control. And, and this can can and should within our minds even extend to the giving freely of our talents and our abilities to meet the needs that people may really have. When you give to the needy, not just finances, but in every way, when you give to what they need, this is how you should give. That's what Jesus was saying. And it's above and beyond the tithe giving he was narrowing in on. And when this kind of giving is done in secret, it's proof that the motive of the heart is right. So why is our above and beyond the tithe giving, giving to the needy, why is it supposed to be done in secret? I thought about this a lot too. And here's a few reasons I think Jesus made such a point of this. Number one, giving to the needy in secret protects the recipient. And we don't think about this very often, but it protects the recipient. No matter what you say or how nicely you declare it publicly, your financial giving to someone in need, no matter how nice you say it, hey, I've given to this person, looking for accolades, not doing it in secret, you will always run the risk of embarrassing them no matter how nice you are, okay? You understand what I'm saying? You'll always run the risk of embarrassing them. I think this probably plays out most often when it's an individual receiving the gift from another individual rather than an organization that distributes gifts to those in need. But it can bring embarrassment either way. So let me give you an example. You're at a prayer meeting, and the prayer need is brought up by the well-meaning brother or sister in Christ. We need to pray for the Smith family today. They're going through some financial struggles, and even though my spouse and I gave them a substantial financial gift, I'm worried that it won't be enough. Let's pray that God will provide for them. Okay, maybe the heart in even that statement was okay. Maybe they wanted someone else to hear what the need was and give to that particular need. Maybe. Maybe their motive, and I can't judge the motive of the heart. Only God can do that, right? That's why we got to examine ourselves daily. Maybe they were just wanting some accolades. That could be too. But in either case, they did share something about somebody else, a financial need, that could have been an embarrassment or could be an embarrassment to that family. Maybe something happened and they're embarrassed that they're in need. 
Why in the world broadcast that? Why make your giving public, which also exposes that need that maybe they don't want public? Well, I've asked them, and they said I could tell everybody that they were financially struggling. Yeah, sure you did. Maybe. But I'm saying as we operate in these areas, in our, in our walks with God, in, in church life, we have to be willing to ask ourselves these questions and be very careful in how we say things. Because you can hurt people. You could drive people away. Be quiet about helping others. More than likely, they didn't give you permission to broadcast their needs to others. Don't be like the hypocrites who blow trumpets when they give in, when they give in order to be praised by others. And again, it's primarily talking about money here, but definitely could carry into other giving as well. And I'm sure glad I had an opportunity to give some encouragements to that person today, to so-and-so today. It was really awesome to be used of God and help them get over their fear or depression or hurt feelings or whatever. You know, I met a brother and sister in Christ, and they were they were um, at church today, and I, I, I met with them a, a little bit. I, I introduced myself, and I realized they were very depressed and they were very down. I was so glad that God had me there in that moment to lift them up. I'm talking about giving encouragement here. You don't have to be public with that either. Maybe that person doesn't want anybody to know that they're struggling right now. It's just, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. And no doubt there's some fine lines here. We need to talk about giving from time to time for the purpose of teaching right? That's important. Even giving examples to encourage one another to do good works. But we must obviously be very careful, always checking the motive of our heart. And a great rule to follow here is think about the feelings of the one receiving and choose your words appropriately. After all, your gift may ultimately bring an unsaved person to Jesus. But if they are embarrassed because of your gift or because you've broadcasted that they had a need, then you may be driving them further away from Christ. You might give a brother and sister in Christ something, but what if you're giving to a need that the person doesn't know Jesus? That could be a big part of them coming to Christ. You don't know. They don't broadcast it. And let's keep our hearts pure, church. Let's be givers, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, let's be givers. But let's be silent givers, secret givers, even if to just protect those on the receiving end of any embarrassment. So, Giving to the needy in secret protects the recipient. Giving to the needy in secret protects the onlookers. It protects the onlookers. And this is truer than we may ever really know. But when those that see you give because you've given publicly or have been vocal about the gift, they may be subject to all kinds of temptations within their thoughts. The public giver may just be trying to get some credit for their generosity, but those that have been given the gift, uh, I'm sorry, those that have seen the gift given may become full of jealousy towards the giver in reference to that person's ability to give. You understand what I'm saying? Envy, jealousy. These are serious issues within the church of Jesus Christ. Not giving in secret can fan the flames of these sin issues. And we know the Bible says, do not cause your brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble. We know that. The word of God also says in James 3.16, for whatever, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. See, don't be the person who actually 
gives jealousy or envying a foothold in the life of someone who sees you give. Just give in secret. Well, I, I, you give publicly, let's say, and someone sees you do it or hears about it because you've told them or because whatever, and they get jealous about it. They get envious about it. They're like, well, I wish I could have that much to give. And then there gets to be this little thing going on. Do you understand how the devil works? He finds those little cracks and everybody's well-meaning. Everybody's doing, you know, got, got relatively good hearts. And then he gets in there and he just exposes the little bit that is in there. And he capitalizes on it. And I, I think it's interesting that James says, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. I was going to say every kind of evil, and that's another version, but an evil of every kind. Every kind of evil. That's interesting. Over 30 years ago, I um, knew a man that had gotten the selfish ambition to be a big giver. That sounds like kind of an oxymoron, doesn't it? A selfish ambition to be a big giver. And this happened because he saw a business associate give very, very generously. And I have to say, I believe that he was more interested in getting the same accolades that this big giver received and wasn't as concerned about just giving out of the goodness of his heart or giving according to what the Holy Spirit was leading him to give. And understand something, again, only the Holy Spirit can know the motive of the heart. But this guy wanted the accolades. I often think of this, this story, this experience that I had with this, with this man or the knowledge that, of, of the story that I'm about to tell you, and I think of Ananias and Sapphira. They just wanted to look as good as everyone else in their financial gift in the book of Acts. And what happened? They came and said, yep, we, we give you the full money for our land. We sold the land, and we gave it to you. We're giving you the money for it. And it wasn't the full amount in truth. And what did Peter say? You're going to die because you did that. And boom, they fell down dead. And it brought fear upon the church. Would that bring fear upon the church today? I mean, people trying to be seen for their giving and they fall over dead? Understand, that was not um, in the time of Jesus. That was afterwards. That was in the church age. We're still in the church age. That could still happen. So this guy that I'm talking about, he, he wanted to be a big giver because his business associate was, and his business associate was successful and was able to give. He liked the accolades. It was a heart issue. This man gave so much that he almost went bankrupt, hurt his family, hurt people, didn't pay his bills. I don't even, he might have gone bankrupt and I didn't know about it, but he was very close to it. He was in financial peril because he gave everything away and it was all about so he could see, receive the accolades and look as good as his business associate. It's an extreme case, but maybe could have been avoided if that big giver in his life would have been more conscious about giving in secret. It fanned the flame. And obviously the man who just about went bankrupt was unwise and he couldn't blame the other man. That's his own stuff, right? It's his own issue. But it's also important to point out that the man didn't go bankrupt because he had a giving heart. He went bankrupt because of his own pride. He wanted to be seen. 
I'm just saying as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we give to the needy, we don't need to be public with it because sometimes it can cause others to be envious. And that causes problems for them. And we, we, we end up causing our brother to stumble. A wealthy, well, let, let, me, let me say this. When you don't give secretly, the amount you give doesn't change the fact that you could be causing someone who sees what you've done to become jealous. A wealthy person could become jealous of a poor person who has given more than they have. It just opens the door for so many different issues to take root. And again, we, we, should, we, we, uh, we should care so much about one another that we act in an intentional way to avoid causing one another to stumble. We don't need to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. Everybody look at your left hand. Your right hand. Don't let this one know what this one's doing. And that's an interesting phrase because it's kind of impossible, right? It's hyperbole. We all know that our bodies have one mind. It's impossible for our left hand to do something that, that the mind is completely unaware of. And as our mind is also in control of our right hands, it's impossible for either one of our hands to do something that the other isn't aware of. If I'm holding this mic... How does my left hand not know what my right hand's doing because we function off the same brain? Jesus said some really interesting things. That's a phrase we hear all the time, even in our culture. It's not possible for your left to not know what your right's doing. It's not, but Jesus is saying this. If you can be so discreet in your giving even to that extent where your left wouldn't know what your right's doing, that's what you should shoot for. That would be best for everybody involved. Let's give in secret to protect the ones we are giving to, the, the recipients, and let's give in secret to protect the, protect the ones that would see what we are giving when we are public with our gifts because it can cause them problems. Ananias and Sapphira saw other people giving they got envious, they got full of jealousy, they tried to give in the same way even though they didn't, they lied about it because of that enviousness and, 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 and jealousy, and they died because of it. Don't cause your brothers and sisters to die, just give in secret, right? Number three, giving to the needy in secret protects the giver. Protects the giver. Lastly, if, if, if you give to the needy in secret, it protects you. You may have a very right motive in giving to those in need. Again, it, it, be it financial or, or in other areas, but that can change when people start giving you all sorts of attention for your giving. Pride is a way of welling up within us. We like it when people give us kudos for our generosity. It always feels good when people talk about how great you are. And it's okay to feel good. I'm not trying to say we have to be lower than dirt with our heads hang down and, and never receive a compliment. I'm not saying that. But when that turns into fishing for them and looking for them and acting in order to get them, it becomes very skewed and wrong. We had a hug your church the other night, and it was great. We, we stripped those bathrooms. The red carpet in those bathrooms is gone. Yeah. That's pretty much the last place in the church that has red carpet, except for a little back here that nobody ever sees. We'll change that too. Don't, don't, don't make no mistake. Who would put carpet in the bathroom anyway? I mean, what's up with that? 
Whoever thought it's a good idea to put carpet in the men's bathroom? <laughs> Guy should be horsewhipped. That's anyway. I'm way off now. So. We had this Hug Your Church night, and we had some guys come in, and, and I, I know, um, um, I'm not, I'm not going to name everybody who is here, but, but I know that uh, uh, Scott Seaman and his brother Daniel were here, and they worked their rear ends off, sweating until almost 9.30 at night um, after putting in a full day of work. And, you know, I appreciate that, guys. It was awesome. They didn't, they're not sending me a bill for that. They, they stripped that place down. They did a great job. There's others. Patrick Brown, who's fairly new to the church, he was here, and there were some others. I know... Uh, uh, our kitchen, uh, our kitchen cook. You know, he was right down there helping lift up toilets and urinals. Um, he washed his hands and cooked food this morning. But um, just, just so you know, yeah, you better be clean when you use the bathroom. You never know if the cook's going to be part of the clean crew. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the golf course where I uh, grew up had a sign in the, in the uh, men's locker room area right above the urinals, and uh, people were throwing their cigarette butts in the urinals. And this isn't spiritual at all, is it? <laughs> and, and there was a sign that said, the hands that uh, remove the butts fix your drinks. <laughs> so <laughs> Kept the cigarette butts out of the urinals. Anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> You're like, you need to learn how to preach and communicate better. And let me just say this. You have no idea what it's like when the channel keeps changing up here. <laughs> I mean, it does all the time. So the fact that I don't do this more is a miracle, all right? But those, those guys gave at Hug Your Church Night. It was awesome. They gave. And, and there was a number, a number of other, our other cook, too, was here. Austin, he washed his hands as well. Um, but there was, there was a, it was a good group of people. They were giving, and they weren't looking for accolades, even though I gave them some today. It's okay for me to give them accolades. But maybe just to be a little careful that you don't give somebody so many accolades that they become puffed up, and then that's the only reason they give. Pastor Calloway told me this a long time ago, and I, I never knew how true it was when he said it, but I, the more I'm in ministry, the more I see it's true. How many know it's good to listen to old people who tell you stuff because they, they get it? He said the most dangerous person in the church is the one who serves to gain control, who gives, whether financially or, or even in service, to get a position of control where they can say things and, and direct like, well, think about that. Doesn't mean I don't want you to volunteer for things, by the way, but it's got to be the right motive. Pride just has a way of welling up within us. We like it when people tell us how great we are. And isn't that the very reason we post on social media in the way that puts us in the best light? We know just how to hold the camera to make us look the way we want people to see us. Why do you think there's such a thing as selfie sticks? How many have ever seen those selfie pictures and it's kind of like down here and up your nose and makes you look like you're 50 pounds more than you really are? Oh, nice selfie there. They need to get a selfie stick. 
Because if you go up here, up high, right, you look good when you're taking a picture down. Now this afternoon, everyone's going to be like getting new pictures on there. We know just how to do it, don't we? Am I wrong? We know just how to do it so people will see us in that, that light. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that as long as our heart's right. We know what our good side is. And the color we need to wear to, to get the most likes. We, we live in a world that, that looks, where, where we look for accolades. So many people do. They live off of compliments. Well, if I, they get their, they get their uh, uh, security, their, their, their value from how many people like what they do. And, and it creeps right over into our giving. Value me because I'm a giver. Do it in secret to protect yourself when it comes to giving to the needy. And when this kind of vanity creeps over into our giving, it becomes rewardless. Paul talks about our works being worthless when they are done with wrong motives, like giving in a way where everyone knows about it, case in point. But 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, he says this, Paul does, but on the judgment day, Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will, will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. In other words, your good works, like giving to the needy, doesn't need to be done in public because that becomes a self-motivated thing, and on Judgment Day, when they're weighing out good works, and, and, and not, not for salvation purposes, but just seeing what your reward's gonna be, that, that particular thing you've done for wrong motives is gonna be burnt up and worthless and rewardless. You've already gotten your reward on that one. You got accolades. You already got your reward on that one. You got puffed up and you felt good because someone said something to you because you manipulated your words in a way to let them know how great you are. Do you realize how wonderful I am? I mean, we don't say those things. Someone's going to take that clip and play it over and over like I'm full of myself or something, but take it out of context. But honestly, don't we, we, we have some of those thoughts way deep down inside. Protect yourself and give secretly. It's the only way to maintain humility and avoid the inevitable pride that builds within our heart, within the heart of someone who desires to be praised for their good works. If your heart is right, the only person you will be truly worried about getting accolades from is your heavenly Father. On that day when you meet him face to face. You know, what will he say in all this? I've just shaken this down to, to close this morning. What will he say? My prayer is that he'll look right at you with those pure eyes of perfect love that almost look through you because he's all-knowing. He knows every thought, everything you've ever said, every motive down here. And my hope is that he'll look at you and he'll smile with such an authenticity that it just melts you. And then he says, because of the blood of Jesus and because you have a right heart, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest, for great is your reward. 
Will that be what he says to you? See, church, he, he says these things. Don't give to the needy in a flamboyant way, in a way that blasts the trumpets and wants everybody to see what you've done so you can be praised by men. Give secretly. There's reasons why. It protects the recipient, it protects the onlookers, and it protects you. I pray that this church becomes such a giving church. And, and you know what? We, you do really well. You're amazing, actually. The money that comes in for missions, phenomenal. We don't go without. We have no debt. I mean, God has blessed this place immensely. But can I just pour gasoline on the fire that's already burning this morning? and say, let's be givers. Because God will bless a people like that. Yeah, tithing, that's kindergarten stuff. Y'all should be doing that. Well, I don't make enough to tithe. That's why you don't make enough. I'm talking about the giving above and beyond that. Wow. There was a, a phone call I got this week. And I shared with you several months ago, probably even a year ago, about an AG pastor in the African country of uh, Burkina Faso. Hope I'm saying that right. And he was pulled out of his church and told, deny Christ or I'll kill you. These were Muslim militants that came in. And he wouldn't do it. And they killed him in front of his congregation and, and in front of his family. Well, the conversation I had this last week was with someone who has been to Burkina Faso, and he talked with this pastor's wife. And this pastor's wife told him that her husband's blood, I quote, her husband's blood will be avenged by the preaching of the word that we do, the sharing of the gospel that we do to those people that killed him. Why do I bring that up? Because those people live in a situation and a circumstance that most of us can't even possibly imagine. They give everything for the gospel. We give everything to ourselves. And we give God a little bit of guilt money. I love this church. I love, this, I love the way you give. I, not rip it on you. But we don't get it in America. And I think we better get it pretty quickly because there's things happening in our world that are bringing us to a place where you don't want to be caught not being a giver and not knowing how to give. Develop that now in your heart. Develop that now in your life. doesn't mean that God doesn't want to bless you and you can't have stuff. I'm not saying that. But you better make sure the stuff doesn't have you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, that this Sermon on the Mount, just week after week, line after line, and 
verse after verse, God, just, it just does surgery on our hearts. And God, if we're good in one of these areas, we is great, but then, then you bring up another area and it's just like, whoa, where did that come from? God, we lay ourselves on the altar this morning. We just say, God, do your surgery. Change our hearts. Show us where we miss it, where we could do better, where, where God, where we're doing good even. Show us all of those things. And God, I pray that one person in this room would feel condemnation this morning, but they would feel encouraged and even be admonished, God, in their giving. But, but then, God, to, to give even more as your spirit leads them to. Lord, we want to be known as people who are givers. Givers to the needy. Those that, that have legitimate needs caused by circumstances out of their control. God, help us to do that in a way that brings your name glory, that makes your name famous. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, God, for one another today. I thank you for this church family. Thank you for the relationships. Help us be the church that spurs one another on to good works. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.